You know me, I like illustrations because you don't need to look at me. So, oops, they're a bit mucky. I thought if I've got them, you can't throw them. Thank you very much for the invitation to be able to come and uh, share with you, especially as we go through uh, the story of uh, Nehemiah, uh, one of my favourite characters in the Old Testament. I love Nehemiah. I love this particular chapter because you can go one of a number of ways with it. Um, You could either have, um, let's see, I could do a ten-point sermon looking at every one of the gates and how the gates matter to you, or do you want a four-point sermon? Four. It doesn't doesn't bother me either way. Um, Or, you know, I could have looked at very much about building our lives. And uh, there are so many different ways to uh, tackle this passage. But I felt really called uh, to come and look at uh, the building and working as a team. I don't don't know whether you've ever heard the story of the farmer who was uh, out in the field one day. And there was a highway truck came down the lane. It stopped. uh, Someone got out of the highway truck, dug a hole got back in the truck, another person got out of the truck, filled in the hole. 20 yards further along, stopped again, both got out of the truck, dug a hole, another person got out, filled it in. And the farmer, what on earth are they doing? And this went on for about half a mile. He watched them going down the lane by his field. So he thought, I've had enough of this, I'm going to find out what they're doing. So he went over to them and he said, can you please explain to me, what on earth are you doing? I see you. One gets out, digs a hole. The other gets out and fills it in. He says, this is a highway beautification project. The person who plants the trees is off sick. <laughs> um, the, the moral of the tale about working as a team. Um, uh, I just want to set uh, the, the context of this passage very briefly. Uh, 586, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, uh, captured the people, took them into slavery, uh, decided to destroy, destroy, burnt down the temple, destroyed the, the walls. And uh, then uh, God did not forsake his people in years to come. There is the move from King Cyrus to make a decree that the people could return back to Jerusalem. And they did that over 100 years in three different batches. Uh, but word got back to ne- uh, Nehemiah at some point, uh, that actually uh, the walls were a wreck and they were in ruin. Nehemiah is a great character in the Bible. He'd worked his way up to be the poison tester, the cupbearer to the king, and uh, to King uh, Araxerxes about 445 BC. And, and he, really, he heard how the people weren't focused and they weren't motivated. So Nehemiah really felt called after prayer that he should be doing something about this. So he offered that amazing prayer in chapter 1. And he goes, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. He goes on, he says, give your servant success today in the presence of this man. And we get to chapter 2, and um, then uh, Arxi, we'll call him Arxi for short, Arxi saw Nehemiah, saw Nehemiah was sad and said, Nehemiah, what's up? Nehemiah, what's your problem? And so Nehemiah shared his heart and his concern. And so Arxi gave him some uh, letters to go. And of course, uh, that wasn't without some opposition. You've heard about this. Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the old fossil. No, sorry, Ammonite. 
I knew, I knew we'd get, we'd get. Um, and Nehemiah 2 then yeah, concludes with Nehemiah going to survey the walls and he does this survey you know that point where he has to get off the mount because there was so much uh, rubbish on the roads uh, and uh, so this is a passage now in Nehemiah 3 all about the unity and the teamwork and encouragement and at the first glance, Nehemiah 3 can look a bit dry. One commentator described it as a colourless m- memorandum of assignments. It just seems a lot of names. It's an account of how the wall's built. Who did this rebuilding? What family did that? Which did that? And that's the whole, how the whole chapter is laid out. The family rebuilt the wall from here to there to the corner. The other built the gates and put that in place. And I want you to be honest. Be honest now. How many of you were bored with the reading? <laughs> I don't mind. Oh, there's, there's a couple. There's a couple of you bored with the reading. How dare you be bored with the Word of God? <laughs> but you can be bored with the reading. It just seemed to go on and on. And Jenny, I really do thank you for doing that. Uh, I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> and... Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a passage about how people can work together and how they did work together. And if you're the sort of person uh, ha- who have one of these, a real Bible, you're not on your phone, uh, not, how many of you have got a real Bible here? Oh, you've got some? Are you the sort of people that write in it? And, uh, yeah. I do. And, uh, uh, not this particular one, this is my preaching Bible. Well, I've got one at home, I write and underline. Well, if you were that sort of person and you underlined every time it said next to them, after them, after him, you'll find there's 28 times you'll be underlining. It's all about them working together, being together. And the biblical principle, everyone here has a role to play in the ministry of the church. And it's uh, not just about Matt and Mig and Mark and Ali and Ben and Rath and Mark, Ian and Andrew, Charles, Ian... Jane, is that all the leadership team? Do you think so? If I've missed out anyone, I do apologise. It's not just about the staff team, it's about everybody having an involvement. And then it is teamwork that makes things happen, not money, not ministry, not business, it's teamwork, how we work together. A certain Brazilian football manager once commented in an interview, it's good to get, easy to get good players. The hard part is getting them to work together. I think the New England manager of the rugby team probably feels exactly the same at the moment. But let us not underestimate what these people achieved. Um, Let's see if I can get this. There's just a picture of uh, the city. This was not a small city wall. There are the gates and all around the city wall and, and the walls. Not only that, we have the East Gate. Look at the size of the East Gate. We also have the Sheep Gate. I'm not going to go through all of them, just uh, some of them. Here we have the Dung Gate. The Dung Gate, because where all the dung was left outside, and uh, the Fish Gate, where all the fish came in, there were smelly gates. They're, they're not small walls, are they? They are huge walls and there's the horse gate to the, to the, to the left of the uh, east gate and, and just look at some of the brickwork it's, there's a huge amount of work and they needed to be dedicated to get that work done and 
The burdens are made lighter when everyone works together. And this is one of the amazing accomplishments of Nehemiah. It only took 52 days to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We, we hear that in Nehemiah uh, 6.15. Uh, to give you a clearer idea, uh, that will be, correct me if I'm wrong, March the 20, 29th, if we started today, they would have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now, sorry? Without a JCB. And, and we'll put it in context, that little bit of road between Hankridge and Creech Castle, how long did that take? <laughs> Years! Put it in context. They, they, that was a lot bigger than, than, than Hankridge to Creech Castle. This was accomplished. Why? Because every single person, well, not exactly, but every person worked together. And in that list, the reason we had that long list, it just shows you the sheer amount of people who were committed into that particular ministry. It's not a small city, it's a large city, people working diligently, uh, working together. I just want to give you something to ponder, seriously ponder. Study after study has shown that 90% of the work in any church is committed by 10%. Small congregations, big churches, on average, 90% of the work in 10%. If that is the case, we need to be asking, what is our role? Are we a part of the 10% or the 90%? I just want to give you some of these questions just to consider. Am I a burden to the work of God um, that God's trying to do, or am I making the burden lighter? If a study was done in this church, would I be counted in the 10% that does most of the work or 90%? And I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I just want you to consider that. What is God asking you to do in your ministry? What is God asking you to do within God's, uh, God's people? We all have a role to do. Um, uh, I came across this person who had, uh, he thought he had a role. He wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do. So he started to work in an orange factory, but he realized he couldn't concentrate. Oh, don't worry, it gets worse. It gets worse. He, he decided to go then uh, to work in the woods as a lumberjack, but he couldn't hack it, so he got the axe. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, you got the rest of these first. Uh, he tried to be a tailor, but he wasn't suited for it. He thought it was a so-so job. Uh, he attempted to be a deli worker, but hey, anyway, he sliced, he couldn't cut the mustard. He stood it a long time to be a doctor. We didn't have the patience. <laughs> he then decided to go out to sea and become a professional uh, fisherman. He couldn't live on the net income. <laughs> he found uh, he was going to be an electrician. He found that really interesting, but uh, the work was shocking. But after, after years and years of trying, he thought he found the perfect job. He became a historian, but found there was no future in it. <laughs> Now you can have the break. <laughs> but what, seriously, but what is your role in the life of the church? Is it in a men's ministry? Is it in a women's ministry? Is it in the worship ministry? Is it amongst children and youth work amongst the elderly? Because there are gaps in each of these. They're always looking. What can you offer to give back to God? Is it in some form of sports? Is it in the listening ministry? Is it in the pastoral ministry? Is it in the prayer ministry? Is it in the teaching or the preaching or 
I think Jenny will be grateful if someone else did the reading today. Is that a part of your ministry? In a society, my friends, where Brexit is no longer the key issue for the news and what people are thinking about, but mental health and how they heat their homes, what are we doing in aiding and helping that? Where refugees are asking them for some biscuits and chocolate, how much we can help others. What is your role in the life of the church? The second thing uh, is work is more efficient when everyone works together. 52 days is an astonishing time to rebuild the walls. And these people weren't building from scratch. I know know that some builders uh, would have uh, preferred to build from scratch um, rather than uh, just build onto what was already there. And I dare say Nehemiah tried getting hold of uh, Benjamin Henry uh, Limited. But you know, Ben's so busy with his building work, couldn't do it. So he had to turn to the people. But they worked efficiently uh, together. If anyone uh, has been to a, a seminar on productivity, they will tell you that five people working together can fold more paper aeroplanes than five people working apart. The work goes more efficiently when we work together. And it is shown so vividly here in Nehemiah. It happens so, so much so in the life of a church. And I'm not talking about how if you have 30 people clear away the chairs, it'll be a lot more efficient than 10. That's, that's true. But what about all the other things, about the visitation and the care, the evangelism? When I know that you, uh, Matt often stands up here when we want leaflets handing out. You know, if you have 100 people handing out leaflets, it's going to take uh, a lot less time than if 10 people were doing the work. What is God calling you to do? If uh, the church did everything, the church is meant to be a moving entity that can uh, stand up to the, that the hell's, uh, gates of hell can, uh, can, stand, can stand against the gates of hell. It's a moving entity, but when we are not moving, and I know some churches, and I have been to some of those churches, where they're not moving at all. They haven't got the momentum to ring the doorbell of the gates of hell. And it really worries me. And uh, so, some questions I wanted to leave with you uh, about this. Am I acting like grease in the axle or glue in the gears? What is my role in the church and what God, what is God calling me to? No matter how big or how small that might, God is calling you to something. In my, when I had a real job as a minister of a church, um, and, and, and I consider that a real job, that's the hard job. What Matt and every, the team here do is, is the hard work. I do the easy job now. When I was minister, we, we had a, a challenge that we should get 100% of the people doing something in the life of the church. Never made 100%, made 93. However small, they were doing something small, but they were, the housebound found a ministry. They had a wonderful prayer ministry, and they just needed to know what to pray for. They did it, and we had an amazing uh, team making sure that everyone had something uh, to do. But... Uh, when it doesn't happen, sadly, things go wrong. I've been this week in a meeting with a church, uh, 25, 30 people strong on a Sunday. Not small, small church. They're going to close. Why? No one is willing to stand up to leadership. No one. Not one. The leaders are there are tired and worn out. No one else is willing to do it. Legally, they're going to have to close in that community. I found that really sad. 
We've got a church not a million miles from here. I've been looking for two years now to find five, five trustees just to sit over to help, uh, not to redo anything with the church itself, but to develop the building into something creative for creative ministries, to do something new and something completely different. And I found nobody. No one's willing to stand up to the mark. That church, that facility, is likely to close. So when, we, when we're challenged, what is God is likely to do? We, God's challenging us to be involved and be involved for his sake. The next thing I want to say, that everyone is important. The reason we had all the reading, not half the reading, but all the reading, is that every single person in that reading was important. Every single person. They all had a role to play. And I think it was uh, to do them justice. They were the names were written. We needed to read that out. How many of you have done uh, reading uh, through the Bible through the year and you've actually skipped over this passage? <laughs> oh, no. But they were written for a reason. You, thought, you probably thought, also when you went through the reading, you thought, wow, Jerusalem, there's a lot of gates. Uh, and I dare say if I said to you, how many gates can you name? You probably would have named two or three. There's over ten gates there. But when you look at, back at the story, that every single gate, every part of the wall made a difference. Because if one gate wasn't built, one wall wasn't built, it would have made the whole city vulnerable. It would have been open season to Sambalat and uh, Tobiah, the, uh, the old fossil. It's the same is true of the work of God. The small things that you might think is insignificant are very significant. And it can transform people's lives. It was 46 years ago. Um, uh, someone, someone gave me an invitation. They invited me to a David Watson crusade. It's called the Way for Sheffield. Um, it's all they did. They invited me to go along. Transformed my life. They would never to know I was to pastor three large churches and then be a regional minister. Why? Because they invited. That's all they did. Invited. A small action made all the difference. And I, might, I look back and I think yeah, how God has used that little event to do so much more. Right now, you might be feeling the same way. You might be thinking, oh, what about my small things? Will they make a difference? Sometimes, my friends, it will feel like you're actually working on the dung gate or the fish gate and not on the east gate. And it might feel really rubbish. You might feel, I'm not, gonna, I'm not really being recognised for this. Uh, what, why on earth am I doing that? But God transforms, takes the small and creates into what God wants to do. Uh, yeah, there's, um, when you think about the small things, uh, David and Goliath, or the feeding of the 5,000, that boy just with the loaves and the fishes, what God could do. And uh, I don't know whether you've actually, uh, you actually know this, um, there's, uh, occasionally we're told about the size of people in the Bible. You know, we have... Um, we, have, uh, we know that David was small, Goliath was quite large. Uh, we know that there's a, a rather rotund lady uh, known as the woman of Samaria. Um, uh, and but, but, I don't know why it gets worse. <laughs> but we also know the height of Nehemiah, because he was Nehemiah. <laughs> have you ever thought about Nehemiah? And, uh, but however small you are, however small you think your ministry is, it can make a huge, huge difference. 
Because every part in the body of Christ, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, every part makes a difference. Every part belongs together. God uses the small things to accomplish his work. And he uses, it doesn't matter how little you think it is, it can make all the difference. The final thing is really, it's important to encourage everyone. I I wonder when the, uh, Nehemiah must have been telling everyone, what's your name? He wouldn't have known all the families. What's your name? I want to write this down. I want to record this. I want you to know I'm recording this. And how that encouragement for their recognition for what they did made the difference. How they actually must have felt that they you know, he's writing this down. Someone might read of this in the future. Us, we're taking a part of the bigger part of the kingdom. They must have been so, so encouraged. What about the encouragement of those involved already in the life of the church? Do not forget to encourage your leaders. Uh, they need cheerleaders all the time. They'll get the criticisms, but they also need the cheerleaders as well. Not ones that inflate our egos, but those who say, keep up the good work, carry on, carry on. I always remember in ministry, um, it's that letter, that note, that just says thank you, makes all the difference. You think this is worth going on? In my ministry, it's been twice, I, I, I nearly handed in my resignation because I was going through a really tough time in ministry. And I would pray over it. And the next morning, a letter or a card arrived just to thank me. Not knowing what I'd been going through, that made all the difference. Encourage your leaders. Also, Nehemiah wanted their names to be recorded. Think of other people. I urge you to look around you, those that you might encourage. Uh, Recognise those in your congregation that do work diligently for the Lord. Uh, As well as a congregation, not only encourage your pastor, be cheerleaders of all those else in working in the life of the church. Leaders, be aware of those who work in the church and encourage them. As we gather together, you'll look out and encourage and protect each other in the busyness of life. And realise that some of those friends that we are around us, we know they've got partners, they're going through difficult times, they're going through health issues, they're going through relationship issues. They might be just tired and discouraged. And can I tell you, discouragement is, uh, is real for so, so many people. It's a part of life. The sad fact is we need to make that environment of encouragement to get rid of the discouragement. We need that for today. In the Christian church, in the Christian home, those places in which we work, we need to be the people that make the encouragement. Look around. Find someone that you can encourage this week. If that's the only bit of homework you need, really, from uh, listening to God's word, that's it. Just find someone to encourage them. Compliment should be an encouraging, should be a natural activity. A word of praise can make a change in the, the course of a person's life. You might have thought this was a dry passage. This isn't a dry passage at all. If you notice right at the beginning, it starts with the sheep gate and the priest. It begins with the glory of God. And also it mentions there are those who refuse to do the work. The lords of Tekoa. But if you read on, it says... But the men of Tekoa worked twice as hard. They got on with it. And then you get to verse 20, you get to my favourite character. 
Can anyone think who that might be? Now, this is a test for you all. Nope, okay. It's Barak, son of Zabiah. He zealously repaired another section. Uh, the Hebrew actually means to burn or to glow. He, he was on fire. And it's amazing because in uh, Nehemiah 4, uh, 4, 6, we read that, that all the people worked with all their heart, but for some reason, Barak worked with fire in his heart. And I wonder how many of us really need to have a Barak sometimes working amongst us and around us. Are you willing, like Barak, to go that extra mile? My friends, as we come to conclusion, the burdens are made lighter, work is more efficient, everyone matters, and we are called to encourage one another. That is teamwork when we come together. For, those, for many of you, you will know, or some of you will know, that I'm, I'm a bird watcher. Um, I know you might think that really sad, uh, but I, I love my bird watching. And, and one of the part, times of the year I really enjoy is uh, the end of autumn, beginning of winter, when I'm sat in the garden and watching the geese go over. Remember? And have you ever noticed on the V, one, one uh, length of the V is longer than the other? Have you noticed that? Do you know why? Do you know why? There's more geese on one side than the other. <laughs> geese often travel thousands of miles before they're reaching the destination, but actually, the only way they can do that is because they work together. Here's some interesting true facts about their flight patterns. Flying as they do, flocks create an upward lift. By flying in the V formation, the whole flock gets a 71% greater flying range than if one bird flew on its own. One goose, when one goose gets uh, sick or wounded, two will fall out of formation and follow it down to help it and protect it. They will stay with the struggler until they're ready to fly again. And the geese in the rear of the formation are the ones that are actually doing the honking. It's their way of announcing that they're following Everything is going well. We need the people in the church who are willing to do the honking and the encouraging for others ahead of us. In a minute, we're going to come to communion. Um, it's a meal in which we share with God. It's a meal of thanksgiving, a meal of adoration and praise, a meal in which we humbly bring ourselves before God and allow God's Spirit to talk to us about what is my role what are you asking of me? It's a communion, community meal in which we share responsibility for one another. So within this time, we will welcome people into membership. We will pray for folk because this meeting around the body broken, the blood shed for us, this is what it's all about. We're going to sing now as we prepare. Be still for the presence of the Lord.